Amen. Thank you, Lene and team. Good morning, everybody. Ah, you know, one thing I wish I had was like that helmet cam, you know, pastor helmet cam, so you could see how good looking you are, but actually how good sounding you are. It's just, I always look forward to Sunday as one body as we raise a voice up together, but I'm glad you're all here. I'm looking forward to going into God's word with you also. To those of us who are online, we have a lot of people still hanging with us online, and we're glad you're with us today too. But I always want to take a moment representing our whole body of Christ here to welcome our guests. So if you are new to Westview, we're glad you're here too. If you are new to us online, a couple things just to give you a little lay of the land here is that when you walk through the doors, you got this worship guide. It's got these important notes. There's one I want to go over with you in a second. And there's these sermon notes on the back that outline the framework of what we're talking about today. For those of you who are online, this is pinned on Facebook Live or available to you off our website also. There is one really important event. It's these middle two things here on your worship guide, and that is in, on May 5th. It's a Wednesday night. We will have our local church conference. It's where we come together as one body, and we celebrate what God's done in the last year. And I will tell you, God has done a lot. Despite COVID and everything, God has been faithful. He's worked through our church in amazing ways, and we celebrate that. We do have some business that night. That's the body of Christ that decides on our budget. It's the body of Christ that nominates our leaders for the next year. So I want all of you to be here with us, and we'll have it also live streamed that night too. So I would just love everybody to be here so we can not only celebrate what God's done, we can look forward to what he's doing, and we can agree upon how that church, and we as a church body are going to move forward. So that will be exciting. Let's see, what else do I got here? So enough about that. Oh, also on this Connect card for our guests, we would love if you'd fill this out online so we know you're with us online or here. If you fill this out, we would love just to reach out to you early this week like we always do to see if we can answer any questions for you about Westview. You can drop those cards off in the boxes out here. You can fill them out online or you can take it as a guest to our guest center out here where we have a gift for you. Okay. We are on the second week of this sermon series called Encountering Jesus. And where we're at is we are in a variety of scriptures that follow immediately after Jesus' resurrection, immediately after the first Easter, where Jesus starts appearing to key people, a bunch of people he appears to. But every time he appears and people encounter him, there's a dramatic change in those people's lives. And so we're trying to do the very same thing, carry the momentum from Easter that we just celebrated and look at these stories, but see how they still apply to us today, how Christ is still encountering us today. And so last week we started with this uh, sermon titled Encountering Jesus in the Water. And we were in the story. Let me reframe the story because we're actually going to build off of it today. So last week, we talked about the disciples. There was 11 of them, and Jesus appeared to them after he rose from the grave, after that first Easter, and he gave them this instruction to go back to Galilee. Now, that's their home state. That's their hometown area. And so the 11 took off, and they walked 75, 80 miles back into their home state. And Jesus says, I will meet you there. And so they're back in this area called Galilee. They're at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus hasn't quite shown up yet. So they went back to the routine. They went back to doing what they know how to do while they wait. And they went fishing. And we're not talking recreational fishing. They took out their boats. Half of them were fishermen. Big nets, big boats go out on the Sea of Galilee. They were out there all night and didn't catch one fish. In the morning, 
The boat's about 100 yards off the beach. Sun's coming up. And they see this guy on the beach. And he says, hey, have you caught any fish? And they're grumpy. They're like, no, we haven't caught any fish. He's like, throw your nets out on the right side of the boat. And they did. And they haul in this massive load of fish, so big that they can't get the net in the boat. And then they all look back to the beach, and who's this guy? And they realize it's Jesus. Peter, one of the disciples, is so excited, he pulls this force gump move, and he jumps off the boat, swims 100 yards, gets up the beach. Jesus, what are you doing here? And we shared about what it was like encountering Jesus in the water for that group. When they tried to go on their life without Jesus, nothing was happening. But when Jesus shows up in their lives and they encounter him, their life and their nets are full. And so we ended that sermon, uh, like Lene pointed out, with seven people being baptized as they all got in the water last Sunday and encountered Jesus and started their journey with him. What was even more exciting about that, uh, we've already had five people because of the bravery of those seven who said, I want to get in the water now and encounter Jesus. So we'll have another baptism before too long, and please cheer about that because nothing's bigger. One of the biggest moments in our church. So we went from encountering Jesus in the water today to encountering Jesus at the campfire. So we're not leaving that story just yet. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21 with me. We're going to pick right up where we left off. Right off where Peter comes up to Jesus at a campfire. And this is going to help us, I think, paint the picture. How's that? Get our flames going here. There we go. So Jesus has made a campfire, and Peter gets out of the water. The sun's up, but he's cold. He's wet. He comes up to him at this campfire. And then the other seven or six, they bring the boat up, still dragging the net because they can't get in. They, they get the boat all the way up to the beach. And so all seven of them are with Jesus. And Jesus has started a campfire. Let's pick this up in John chapter 21, verse 9. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard the boat right there and dragged the net around to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus, underline these two words in your Bible, serve them, the bread and the fish. This was a third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, so here we are. We're at the beach. Jesus started the campfire. He's making breakfast. The sun's up. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful, brilliant blue. The waves are kind of gently coming in. The water's normally calm in the morning. The fire's warm. The disciples are damp. Peter's wet. The campfire and the food smell amazing. So here's our first sermon note together. I think this is really important to understand this in the story. The creator of all served breakfast. 
This is so important to understand this is not a routine setting. The risen Christ who was dead, who's now alive, who is the Messiah, the King of all kings, who created, as we know in the Bible, that God created all things through Jesus, the creator of all the earth, the guy who just filled their nets with his word, is making breakfast for the seven. He's still encountering everybody and to encourage him about God's next plan. And Jesus sets up on the beach, he starts a fire, he cooks fish. Who here eats fish for breakfast? But back then it was good. And he has bread and he serves them. The creator of the universe is serving them. So much is this have not a routine aura around it. It is so supernatural that the, the scripture even reads, they don't dare ask who, they, who he is because they know he's the Lord, but that's what it's like to be in the presence of the Son of God. But yet at the same time, it's really, really an intimate setting. Now, I want to focus on Peter for today's story when Peter approaches Jesus and he approaches the fire, hair matted, dripping wet, I know in, Jesus, in Peter's heart that the moment he meets Jesus over this fire, that Peter flashes back to another fire and another time around Jesus. The problem is, this is gonna take us back three chapters in John to John 18. He's going to flash back to a time where he was at a campfire except it wasn't a bright dawn early morning on the Sea of Galilee. It was a cold darkest of night moment. It's Thursday night the day before Jesus is crucified. The disciples had just all been around the Last Supper together with him. They were now outside, and a large mob shows up and arrests Jesus. There's a lot of clamor, a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, and then they mob and the guards, and everybody take Jesus off. Peter follows at a distance. As Jesus is led through the town of Jerusalem, he's led to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to start one of six trials that Jesus will go through throughout that whole night. Peter follows at a distance. Peter gets to Caiaphas's house and he's able to get inside the courtyard, not in the house, but in the courtyard where Peter goes to a fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas's house. Jesus is inside. Peter can hear the shouts, the yelling. I don't know if he knows that the guy he's followed the last three years is being spit on, yelled at, and accused of crimes he's never committed. And Peter stays at a distance, outside, cold night, warming himself by fire. The glow of the fire it illuminates Peter's face out there in a the dark courtyard so much the servant girl recognizes him. And this is seen in John 18, verse 17. The woman asked Peter, 
you're not one of the man's disciples, Jesus' disciples, are you? And Peter responds, no, I'm not. Peter's angry, Peter's confused, he's scared. And he knows he can get arrested. And he denies Jesus the first time. And then we get to John 18, verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself. They asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, no, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive garden with Jesus? And again, Peter denies it. If you go to the other gospel, it says Peter curses up a storm. And immediately, a rooster crows. And immediately, Peter remembers Jesus' words that before a rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Three times. This is Peter, the man who months before gave the greatest confession in the Bible in Matthew 16, where Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And they're giving all these answers. And, Peter, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you and the other disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, you're right. And Jesus gives him the name Peter at that moment. And that name means the rock. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. This is the same Peter, the, the same man who made this bold statement just hours before Jesus was arrested, where Jesus looked at his 11, his 12 disciples at the time, and he said, tonight all of you will abandon me. And Peter said, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never, ever desert you. And all those memories go flashing through Peter's head. Three times Peter disowns the Savior, the Messiah, over a campfire. And Peter is so bitter with all the memories he actually leaves the campfire, leaves the courtyard, abandons Jesus, and weeps bitterly. I know Peter will never see the smell of smoke and the flame of a fire without bitterness in his soul. but I want to go back to the campfire at the Sea of Galilee. So let's go back there with me. This campfire is different. Take a look at your second sermon note with me. Real regret meets real grace at a campfire. At P 
Peter approaches his campfire at the Sea of Galilee, sits down next to Jesus. He is crushed with regret. Crushed with regret. And Jesus is going to take the most bitter moment of Peter's life and flip it. Jesus is going to show how his love can conquer anything. So let's jump back in, back to John 21, starting in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus says. Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And Jesus finishes by saying, follow me. Follow me. Now there's a lot happening in this little chunk of scripture. So let me backtrack just a little bit. Three times, you know why he's asking, right? You know why he's asking three times, do you love me? He's countering the three times that Peter disowned him. What's interesting is you notice in this is he says, Simon, son of John, three times. He never calls him by the name he gave him, Peter. He doesn't call him the rock because Peter's not being the rock right now. So he goes back to his original name, Simon, son of John. Now what's interesting is paying attention to those of you who know the Greek, we know that there's multiple words for the word love. What's really interesting in this is looking how it's being asked. The first time Jesus says, I want to make sure I frame this, do you love me more than these? Now what's Jesus talking about? He could be talking about do you love me more than these guys who you warred with, went to battle with? Do you love me more than this really nice boat and nets that you went back to, your job, your life? Do you love me more than that? But what's interesting is Jesus uses the word agape when he says, do you love me? The word agape means a wholehearted love. Do you love me wholeheartedly? Do you love me unconditionally? 
And Peter responds, yes, you know I love you, but he uses a different word, filio. He uses a word like a brotherly love because he knows what he did at that fire. And he's not sure he can confess that I, because I haven't loved you unconditionally. I haven't loved you wholeheartedly. So he couldn't use that same word. So, so Jesus asked him the second time, Peter, do you love me, agape? And the second time Peter responds, yes, you know I love you, but he uses filio again. And what's really interesting is the third time that Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the word filio. And it crushes Peter. It crushes him. It says he's hurt. Peter answers again because he doesn't feel he can answer his Savior with agape love. He says, you know everything about me. You know how many times I denied you. You know I missed the mark. So yes, I love you, but I can't get to that mark. Jesus forgives Peter. It only took once. But in these words, he's forgiving him three times. In this, he's encouraging him that he can love this way if he can get past the regret. And three times, you notice also, three times, not only does he ask him, do you love me? Three times, he commissions him. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He gives him the trust to go and create the Christian church. This moment is huge. Huge. Peter, you can love like this. I know you. Look at our third sermon note together. Peter wasn't canceled. He was restored. Now I'm using this word because this word's really popular right now. If somebody denies me, somebody betrays me in the culture today, somebody gets in my craw or rejects me, I just cancel them. You've heard of the phrase cancel culture. It's really easy to do. I can cancel you on Facebook. I can cancel you by shouting louder than you. I can cancel you by not talking to you anymore. I can cancel you by ghosting you. I can cancel you by unfriending you. If you reject me, it only takes once, not three times. It takes once in our culture and I can cancel you. Jesus shows that he does not come from a cancel culture. He comes from a restore culture. His mission is to not cancel anybody. His mission is to restore everybody to God. And that is a call for every Christian. We should never cancel anybody. We only hope for their restoration and what God can do through us to help bring about that. So ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, please do not follow the culture of canceling people because Jesus shows us what can happen to lives that are restored. And let me show you what that is. And one thing before I jump into what happened in the restoration is this point. When you see grace meet regret, it's such a beautiful thing to behold. 
that once again that warm fire and that smell of smoke and a smell of food is comforting to Peter once again. But a life restored is an amazing thing to watch. So what happened to Peter? Let's look at our next sermon note together. This summarizes it. Three denials became three affirmations launching three public declarations. Now, it may not seem big, but let me walk you through this. Three denials were reversed by Peter being affirmed three times by Jesus what you can be and how this regret can be gone because he has that power. But it became three public declarations. Your scripture verses I encourage you to go read are Acts chapters 2, 3, and 4 because now watch what happens to Peter. So Peter, starting out on the day of Pentecost, after this moment at the campfire, 50 days after Jesus arose from the grave, Peter is standing on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit is poured out to start the church. It's poured out on the disciples and the crowds gather from all over, huge crowd, and Peter gets up in front of all of them and preaches the good news. This is an excerpt of what he says in Acts chapter 2. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter goes on, he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. But it didn't stop there. That day, scripture says, 3,000 people were added to the new church. But it doesn't stop. A few days later, he's in the temple, him and John, hanging out. And there's a guy who's lame, not lame, he can't walk. He's been lame from birth. Everybody knows him because he's in the temple every day. And Peter and John come up to him and say, you know, in the name of Christ, walk. And this guy jumps up in front of all these people and a massive crowd in the temple gathers around and Peter declares the gospel again. He stands up in front of all of them and preaches this beautiful sermon in Acts 3, but here's an excerpt. He says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. The number of believers, scripture says, went up to 5,000. And then Peter and John were arrested. They spent the night in jail. The next day, they're taken out of jail and placed in front of the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious rulers that put Jesus on the cross, including Caiaphas again, is in the audience. And they ask him, under whose name and whose power, whose authority did you heal this man? And Peter gets up again. Here comes the third sermon. Here comes the third gospel, the third good news. Let me give you an excerpt from chapter four of Acts. He says, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And they were amazed at Peter and John's boldness so much and so afraid of the crowds they released them. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon, son of John, is Peter the rock once again because grace met his regret and changed how he loved Jesus. 
And Peter goes on to be one of the greatest leaders and starters of the Christian church. I love this story. But how does it affect us? How does the encounter with Jesus at the campfire affect us? And here's our last sermon note together. I think this is really important. Jesus wants to crucify anything that separates us from him. Jesus calls us every day, as Christ followers, we're in a relationship with him every day, every day we can meet him at the campfire. And he's going to call us to this campfire. It's going to be a supernatural experience. It's the creator of the universe meeting us. But yet it's intimate. It's a place of safety and a place that he cares for us. And he will do this not once. He will meet us at this campfire as many times as it takes. Because at that campfire, he will bring to mind our regret. And he will put to death. He will crucify anything in us that keeps us from him. And from loving him. He wants to get rid of anything that holds us back that doesn't allow us to be the person that he's created us to be. He loves us that much. And he wants that love back. So here's a question that I want to make sure we all wrestle with before we leave today. Is what regret do we have that holds us back? And I imagine when you ask an audience, and I imagine when I'm writing this, I'm thinking of the regrets I have. But some of us might think, I got a regret right off top. I know this keeps me away from Christ. It slows me down. And some of us are thinking, I'm not sure I have one. Let me help all of us see this. Let's actually imagine for a moment, right now we are at this campfire with Jesus, and I am standing in front of the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the lover of my soul. What is the first thought that's going to come to my mind standing in his presence? And I bet for most of us there's going to be a thought of regret. That I didn't love him agape in some way. That maybe I could have spent more time in the word getting to know him before I got to this moment with him. And maybe while I'm talking to him in the campfire, I realize I don't talk to him at all. I hardly talk to him any day except maybe a routine prayer at dinner, but I don't know his voice. Maybe the regret I have is I haven't been involved in the church except for Sunday for an hour. I check in, check out, but ladies and gentlemen, we are the body of Christ. We live all day long, 365, 7 and I made it an hour on Sunday and lived my life and now I stand in front of him. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's an addiction of regret. Maybe it's at this campfire. I know this thing has kept me from him. From loving him like I should. Living my life like I should. Maybe, maybe it's simple as I love my job, my studies, my sports, my recreation, whatever, more than I loved him. I just didn't have the time. I want to tell you, whatever that regret is, Jesus is asking right now, 
to every one of us, do you love me more than these? And he's going to give us all that moment right now that we can exchange whatever that regret is and we can leave it here and burn it up in the fire. And we can leave with his grace. You do not need to carry it out of this room. We can exchange our regret for his grace and his love, which opens up our ability to love him like that. We can let him crucify in us and kill off whatever holds us from him. Do you know another person in the Bible throughout the New Testament that had a lot of regret? His name is Paul. For when Peter and the church took off, Paul spent his time doing everything he could to stop the Christian church until one day he encountered Jesus. And Paul wrote this, and I want to leave the scripture with all of us in Galatians chapter 2 that tells us this. My old self has been crucified. I want to say that again. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me and watch me love now. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless because that grace of God met me and got rid of my regret. And so we're going to go into a time of offering prayer right now where you can make sure you leave this regret here today. Our offering to God is every heart walks out of here on fire like Peter with no regrets, nothing holding us back. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in your word, it is no, it is no coincidence about Peter gathering around the fire. Father, you connect the dots so well in your scripture. Father, we all in this room have regrets or time of regrets or things that maybe still are holding us back and we don't want to leave this church today because this encounter that Peter had, we can all have right now. The same Christ works through the Holy Spirit who can forgive and let us get rid of any regret. So for just a second, I want all of us to take a quiet moment and bring that regret or regrets to mind. And I want them to put them in our hands with our hands held out to give them back and let our hands and our heart be filled with grace because that's why Jesus came to die on the cross. Let's take a moment and make sure no regrets walk out of this room. Jesus, lover of, the soul, of our souls, we want to meet you every day at the campfire. And we want you to keep crucifying anything in us that holds us back. Jesus, we all want to walk out of this building today. Our denials taken away. Your love affirming us. Our love whole, just heading towards you in wholeheartedness. And that we go out so excited about your love that we can't shut up about it. Now we'll hit every family meeting, we'll hit every business we're at, we'll hit every public venue, wherever you take us.
and shine the bright light of Christ wherever we go. That is what your church is called to do. Father, do not let a single person leave here still burdened by regret. If there's one person here who can't shake the regret, we'll be standing up here at the end of the service. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are ready to walk with you so you can walk out of here 10 feet off the ground, empowered through the love of Christ and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, empower your church. Nobody leaves here with regret. Jesus, we love you. We want to love you like you love us. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.